Welcome to Trekking Awesome. Hi, I'm Jason. How's it going? <laughs> Good. How are you? <laughs> oh, not too shabby. Um, we, just, we just had Christmas number three. So I know. if it oh, seems like man. we're a little bit tired, it's because we just went through a I know. third Christmas. And it's it's funny because three. it's funny too because like this episode's probably not gonna drop for a couple of weeks. Right. And we're already into the second week of January. So like you probably won't hear this until February, so you're thinking, good God, who's having Christmas in February? <laughs> <laughs> my family, my family has Christmas. In. I know. My family has Christmas, like, in the middle of July. That's, if, I mean, anyway, whatever. It's a weird family tradition that we just all have to get together at some point for Christmas, and sometimes mm-hmm. it ends up landing in the middle of October, but <laughs> it, just, yeah. it just is what it is. Yeah, no, that's really, really fun. <laughs> and, uh, it's honestly, it's not bad. It's just that after a point, like your ability to hang on to festiveness completely disintegrates. And so now we're both really, yeah, we, we've, we've completely lost all festivity. Um, mm-hmm. Luckily, uh, our festivity was restored slightly by uh, a particularly interesting episode of Next Generation. Oh my God, yes. Yes. This episode that we're going to talk about today is, uh, it's something else, man. It is so weird. Now, now keep in mind, guys, we are still in the first season of right. pretty much well, every season of the franchise that we're playing with. So this is a season one, episode seven, episode titled Justice. Mm. Um, that no, There is no justice. There is no justice is for anything in this. Oh, my God. There is no justice for life. No, this one is just <laughs> this one uh, this oh it's such a painful episode. And I remember so okay, I just like to go back to how I mean obviously when we sit down to select an episode, we sort of just go through. I mean, mm-hmm. they're all on Netflix, so we sort of just click through and say, "Okay, well this one looks interesting or that one looks interesting or whatever." Yeah. You specifically were like, "Oh, I can totally defend this episode." Oh, I know. I rem- cuz I remember this one from whenever I was a kid. Like this was one of my favorite ones because This is one of your favorite ones? As a child it was. I have to rethink our entire relationship. <laughs> well, let me just defend myself here before okay. I defend this episode. Um, whenever I was a kid, I I loved Wesley Crusher. He was my favorite character next to Jordy LaForge on the series um, because he was a kid. And, of course, every young person can identify with, with someone their own age or someone similar in, in stature to them. And Wesley Crusher was, was that for me. I mean, he was a great – I mean – Of course, every young person who grew up in the TNG era is going to say this. But, you know, as I grow older and I rewatch TNG and I see Wesley Crusher, there is very little redeeming factors in my eyes for him. Which makes this all the more difficult that I have to defend this episode now because watching it through the lens of, of an adult, it's just it's just very painful it is very to painful. sit through. This is a painful him episode and, and for a lot of reasons, for a lot not of just, and not, not just Wesley. not just Wesley Crusher. Frankly, Wesley is like the least painful thing about exactly. this episode, which is shocking for a lot of reasons. Exactly, um, we're getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit. Um, do you want me to give you a little synopsis of this turd yeah. sandwich? Or? Yeah, okay. no, let's do it. Give a, give give the All audience right. a taste. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> After a grueling colony resettlement, Picard and company are looking for some much-needed rest and relaxation on a nearby planet, Rupicon 3. The planet seems like an Eden, and its inhabitants seem up for anything. A wink. Wesley Crusher joins an away team to determine if the planet is fit for shore leave for the rest of Enterprise's crew. While there, the Edo embrace their newfound friends and show them (coughs) all the planet has to offer. Back on the Enterprise, Geordi discovers a mysterious object off their port bow, which jams communication with the away team. The away team is enjoying their stay until they learn the punishment for breaking the rules. Any rules is instant death. 
Poor Wesley trips over a low-lying fence and breaks the window of a greenhouse and is condemned to die. The Enterprise tries to communicate with the object, only to discover that it exists in multiple dimensions and believes the planet below to be in its care. The away team gets in touch with the Enterprise and tries to resolve the conflict without breaking the Prime Directive or getting little Wesley killed. Picard resolves to break protocol and save Wesley, but the god figure orbiting the planet briefly stifles their attempt before siding with the flawless logic of William T. Riker and allowing the away team to escape along with Wesley. Well, that's that. Yeah, that <laughs> is that. Um, I okay. I want to first of all, I I made I feel like I made that seem more simple than it is. But when you break it down, it really isn't that yeah. complicated. Like they try to make it sort of political and sort of like interesting, and like they mm-hmm. sort of had some interesting conversations about capital punishment during this episode. But for the record, when you sort of try to break down and synopsize this, it's. Wesley trips over a fence and they try to kill him. Yeah, pretty much. And if you break it down a little bit further, we all can just agree that Tashi R screwed up on her job. Didn't she? And know? if she hadn't, then maybe this whole thing could have been avoided. Wow. One of the things that drove me absolutely insane about this episode is how inept Tasha Yar looks. Oh, my God. she it, They really made, like, the writing in this episode really makes her look bad. Like, just On very bad. On every level. She like, seems completely distracted by mm-hmm. um, Leator. You just looked up his name. Yeah, I believe that's, a, that's Mainly, and for the record, the reason that we needed to look up his name is because they pronounce it six different ways. Oh, I know. It's I, I wrote down Leador. I'm pretty sure whoever directed this episode was like, probably got the question from like every cast member. So like, how do we say this name? He's like, eh, you'll figure it out. Right. No, I mean, anyway, so that was insulting. But okay. Yeah. Like, Tasha Yar's treatment in this particular episode is as bad as she's ever been treated in any Star Trek episode Mm -hmm. because she looks so completely incompetent oh I know and it's 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 kind of refreshing to to in in a defensive position for Tasha Yar even though I I brought up the point here (laughs) Um, they really write her out to be kind of like a man in this episode um, it's the it's is that kind of refreshing a, though. Or well, no, just let me finish because it's kind of this trope that a man is the one that overlooks everything because of his sexuality and makes uh, the big right. mistake. In this episode, it's Tasha Yar doing it, which is kind of puts her on even footing with with any guy that's ever made a mistake on television. Usually, he's yeah, making she, it because he's he's make he makes these huge mistakes because he's checking out some woman's butt. In this instance, it's Tasha Yar who goes obviously goes down. You know, obviously the preamble to this before you know the the pre-action to this before the show, the episode starts. Her and Riker and everybody are down on the surface checking out the planet, and when they walk on, she's supposed to know everything about this about the legal system here. Clearly, she doesn't because she was too busy flirting or whatever, mm. which is a very man thing to do. Yeah, but why is it that she has to be a man in order to get equal footing with... Why does she have to make the same kind of mistakes as a man in order to get equal footing with men? I'm not saying that that's what she has to do. I'm just saying that that's what they've done. I Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I get... Yeah, I mean, she she's free to explore her sexuality in the same way that anybody else in the episode is. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, and, and this obviously seems to be the sort of like theme of the episode is like trying to allow people to feel free to explore their sexuality. Yeah. But the way they go about it is awkward and weird. It really is. This episode, I will agree with you on that. This episode is definitely written by a room full of sci-fi guys on what they envision Totally. what they envision as a sexual planet being. Because I mean, the whole like two thirds of this episode is nothing but innuendo. I mean, that's all it is. It's just, just yeah. double entendre and innuendo. Like, yeah. so many of my notes for the first 20 minutes of this episode is like, okay, can we we get it? Sex, it's a thing. Can we move on to, like, an actual story and good dialogue? That's the thing is, what I don't understand about this entire episode is that it makes, like, it, it turns a group of explorers... Right mm-hmm. into a group of horn dogs. Yeah, and it, I mean it's like it's the whole thing to me is like insulting because it's like, okay, so 
the entire planet, that's all they ever do is, and I'm quoting Jordy LaForge here, he says, they make love at the drop of a hat. Any yeah. hat. Right? He, that's that second Tossie part of the yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but the, yeah, but the whole thing is like, right, okay, but that's clearly mm-hmm. not the only thing that this culture does. That's clearly not their only... I mean, mm-hmm. we learn that they're really into physical fitness, for instance, right? Yeah, they, they all, run everywhere. They run everywhere, right? So, okay, I guess you could kind of relate to that to their sexuality, but okay, like, it's interesting mm-hmm. that this is true, that they, you know, um, that they're really into their sort of running and that's, that's something that they like, which what's weird to me is that, like, when they go to the planet, supposedly for the second time, they start, you know, they, they ask them if they want to run. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, weren't you here before? Didn't you notice that this was their custom to run everywhere? Yeah. How did how did you miss that custom? Because yeah, like that's a pretty major one. What were you paying attention to when you first got there? I think I know. Yeah. It was probably Leodore's m- moose knuckle. Um, <laughs> which was obvious to I'm me. I'm sorry. In fairness, they were more than likely... Uh, distracted by Revan's hair. Uh, yeah. Um, poodle fro thing. That thing, I swear wow, to God. I swear to just, God, I saw its tail wagging. I swear. That was just the weirdest <laughs> choice on a hairstyle. I know. I think. What would, I mean. The only thing I can. I'm trying to remember the name of that. She's the movie. only one on the planet like that. I, saw, no, I looked at all she, the yeah, extras. She's not. I mean, it's that's her. That's yeah, her. Yeah, I saw the, all the weird. extras on there, like looking in the background, thinking. Maybe this is just like a fashion that they've come up with. Right. No. No. Yeah, like or like a genetic trait or something. Well, not yeah, like obvious something. Nope, nope. It's just her. There was also speaking of genetic traits, there was something a little bit weird about the fact that everybody on that planet was practically Aryan. I mean, blonde hair, blue oh, eyes, pale skin. I mean, that was weird, right? Yeah. Like yeah. what what bugged me about their sort of like sexual behavior was that it felt cultish. It didn't mm. feel like it didn't feel like a kind of cultural thing i mean it didn't feel like baboons or something where this is just how they you know yeah. oh i'm uh, sorry here is let me present myself to yeah, you no, it was very very cultish i mean everybody was wearing the same same type of uniform right i napkins. mean it it was a, it was really interesting i don't know if it's if it so much is the fact that they think that like this future like the idea of futurism in a lot of shows is everybody wears very similar clothing maybe just a different color here and there and this is just what that society has adopted because that's that's kind of a trope throughout sci-fi, you know? Well, and that, yeah, and I mean, that, that's kind of fine with me. I mean, it, it wasn't so much the clothing as it was the way that people interacted with one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't get a sense of like, like, it's one of those things where there are lots of cultures where sex is not taboo in, mm-hmm. in, in, in the world. I mean, this is true in, in many places that sex is not taboo. Mm-hmm. And yet, it th- there are still sort of other cultural traits mm-hmm. besides sex, even if it's not something that's taboo, it's still a part of culture in a way, not the entirety of that culture. Yeah. And this is what made the whole it's, thing feel very strange to me was that it seemed like mm-hmm. that was the only thing. I, I, I see what you're saying. And to an extent, I will agree with you on that. There was this one point where that kind of, contradicts you but in a very non-contradictory way and it was the scene if you'll remember like leading up to the the main conflict where Wesley is hanging out with the kids and the one young girl comes up to him and starts talking to him asking him to show to teach her something and Wesley doesn't know and it's like it's another one of those innuendo moments yeah but it turns out that she wants him to show triple entendre. <laughs> yeah, wants <laughs> right. him to show her how to play ball, you know, play catch or what have you. Um, just be kind of a kid, teach her how to be this like you know athletic kid kind of thing. Um, and it, it in that instance there, you kind of have this non sexualization of the children, but it's kind of contradicting itself because it leads into it with this with this innuendo that Wesley's very uncomfortable with that it's almost like okay we know that there is more to this society like the kids are playing they're not the kids aren't sexualized you know so you know that sexuality is is not the only thing to this society however it the the way that the story is being told is that it is the main focus 
for the Enterprise crew. Right. This And maybe this is my big problem, is that, like, it, it's not so much that whether or not the Edo, you know, the, the people that live there on Rubicon 3, which, mm-hmm. where the crap did they get the name Rubicon 3? I don't know. Um, the, well, I mean, if it's, well... I didn't know if it was Rubicon or Rubicon. I mean, technically, the way that they do that is it's Rubicon is the star, and three is the third planet in distance from from the thing. But why is it that the Enterprise is naming that planet and not the Edo who live on it? Like, what do the Edo call Rubicon 3? Yeah, they, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, like, I've always kind of, this is this is totally a non sequitur, but I've always kind of assumed of it as a um, universal translator type thing. Mm, like okay. when people from other planets come to Earth, they don't call it Earth; they it's call terra, it te, they call it Soul Three or you yeah, know. Yeah, right. I got you. Okay, that's, that, that's just my thought. No, I'll take. Um, yeah, I'll take that. But okay, so regardless, so so the Edo, I forgot what my point was. Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, we totally totally. Went on a totally different tangent there. Yeah, I know. Um, oh, well, so the Edo culture, like, what frustrates me is that, again, like, there's obviously a culture there, and it, mm-hmm. it is not completely related to sexuality, and the fact mm-hmm. that the Enterprise is so, well, they're, they're, they're so, they're so blinded by that fact, that's, mm-hmm. that portion of, of the, of the culture, that Yar misses this huge sort of glaring warning sign about oh, yeah. the culture. I mean, and, and I'll, I'll go back to... what I'm going to go back to the cult thing for a minute because when you have a group of people who kill somebody who transgress in even the slightest capacity, that's a cult. And that... that I mean, that to me is the problem with this. I cannot disagree with you there. Right? So, like, so like how, how slight do these transgressions have to be? What yeah. if a person is born with nine fingers instead of ten? Is that a transgression? Right, I mean, this, yeah. you know, no, do you notice that everybody there was beautiful? You think that was, you know, I mean, like, yeah, no, I mean, I get what you're going ha, for. There. How slight do these transgressions have yeah. to be? And so, like, this to me was the creepy thing about this that yeah. the Enterprise completely missed because, I guess, I, yeah. everybody was uh, saluting uh, yeah. instead of focusing on their job, and like this was. <laughs> I mean, this was really frustrating for me throughout the episode. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, aside from the fact that the whole thing was just ridiculous. Yeah, I can't. I can't disagree with you there. Like, it was one of those things. Like on, like this being probably the first time I actually sat down and watched this episode critically as an adult. Um, it is very difficult to take this episode seriously, especially whenever you see. You know, the costuming, the hairstyles, like, and then on top of that, you throw in the righteous indignation of uh, Beverly Crusher, like, well, oh, like okay. that whole conflict we're gonna have, was. We're gonna we'll, have to we'll talk circle about back to that. No, but yeah, like, that's you get these like this very, mm, like. I don't know. Like, it was just really, really difficult to, to take it seriously. And I know I'm supposed to be defending this, but God, is it hard. So I, I have this, I, it was a blog post I read, I don't remember how long ago, and I, and I, and if I could remember the name of the blog, I would, I would be happy to point it out, but I, I don't particularly mm-hmm. remember. It was many years ago I read this blog post, and it was about somebody who, I can't remember if they were rewatching TNG as a series or watching it for the first time, but either way, they had a metric for determining how good an episode of TNG was or how bad it was, as it were, and how bad it was was determined by how many times they said, ugh, Riker. Yeah. And like, this episode, it wasn't just, ugh, Riker. Yeah, because I only was, had to say that like twice in the first 20 minutes. Right, but the, for the <laughs> rest of the cast and crew, yeah. like, it was just... Uh, are you kidding me right now? Oh like, my god! And and not just about the sex stuff, which was bad enough, oh but god, like, I a, know, but right. I mean, about some of Picard's decisions. And here's the thing, and we haven't even touched on this yet. Ostensibly, this is a prime directive episode. Oh, right? very much o- so. Ostensibly, well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm saying ostensibly, this is a prime directive this episode. Is. They're definitely asking major questions about okay, how do we apply the prime directive in the case of you know, sort of misconstrued justice like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you can't just let crew members 
die because because some you know because again you know because yeah. if wesley had nine fingers instead of ten and they say oh well he's a nine-fingered kid we got to kill that one you know i mean like you can't do that that that's not acceptable yeah. that's not how things work you know you uh, uh, to some degree have to defend your crew members even if that means leaving that planet in the dust sort of permanently right mm-hmm. um okay so here's my question is this a spacefaring people? Because it sure didn't seem like it. I agree with you. There's, there was no, it was never. Here's the way I, here's the way I answer questions like, like that. If it's not expressly mentioned in the episode, or anywhere else, in canon, I just assume that it doesn't. The the question is is no, yeah, you know. It, yeah. So we never hear anything about them meeting these people in space. It was just they went down to the planet, saw that it was inhabited, and came back up to the spaceship. They like maybe they have like a really awesome communications array somewhere, but it's never mentioned. It's never mentioned that they have warp drive. So if that's the case, in fact, it's kind of expressly mentioned that like they don't. I mean, because because Riven it's very or heavily Riven, alluded to. Yeah, Riven or Riven or whatever says something to the effect of, you know, well, you you orbit the sky with gods, so you must be gods, which to me is a pretty clear indicator that this is not a people that has. I mean, this may be the point at which the Federation decides, like, no, they can't just be industrialized; they have to be spacefaring. Spacefaring, excuse me. If if we're gonna if we're gonna get in, into contact with him because yeah from my perspective watching this episode was frustrating because the violation mm-hmm. of the prime directive occurred the second any enterprise member walked onto that planet while still oh, in yeah. an enterprise uniform and not and not you know incognito or whatever exactly to study you know to study them so that was that was one of those situations where for me it was like you know how i mean I guess I could sort of if if there were if they were a people I can't remember the name of the episode but um, when the bow breaks I think is the name of the episode um, where you know they're they're sort of the mythical people who have all this technology mm-hmm. but have forced forsaken it or forsook it in favor of a simpler life like okay so then they did have it and they they know about it they just choose not to use it that's mm-hmm. one thing that yeah. did not seem to be the case with the Edo the Edo seemed to be completely they seem to be a developing race right and apparently you know they're industrialized or clearly or sort of post-scarcity it seems like mm-hmm. um so cool but they still have not overcome you know some of the things that would allow them to become a spacefaring people notably they have not rejected religion in favor of science and, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not I'm not making a diatribe against religion here but simply stating that like in order to achieve spacefaring society one yeah. would ha- they would have to sort of you know um, favor science over religion and they mm-hmm. haven't done that yet and 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 it's one of those things where like anyway I, I'm I'm that was a very very confusing yeah. moment in what the it, show what for it's me. what it read as to me was that and this is this may just be me explaining it away, but you got to think we're still in the second series ever created. in In the original series, there is a lot of interaction with well underdeveloped uh, races, right. like Kirk. And I mean, the, the Kirk has no qualms about going down to a planet where the people are still ba- like barely more than cavemen and hanging out with them. So in this season, uh, being the very first season of TNG, I don't think that the writers, Roddenberry and co., had come up with the idea of not even communicating with them. Well, they talk, they talk specifically about non-interference in, in this episode. Yeah, they the talk way about non-interference, cons- but not, right. not non like. Non-contact. How far does that go? Right, and I, th- I, uh, yeah. I would venture, and this is a completely headcanon sort of situation. You know, Picard reports this situation back to mm-hmm. high command, and at that point, they decide, no, we're just going to stop all contact with an yeah. honest face. And I mean, I, I could, I could completely see that being the case because this, mm-hmm. this just seems like a very sort of strange circumstance where, yeah. you know, they're having to make these decisions about. Um, 
about whether or not they're going to rescue Wesley, which is oh, yeah. I mean, kind of a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. It just seems ridiculous yeah. that you would allow... I mean, to me, that's like, you know... Yeah, it's like at the point, like at the second that you realize what's going on, why not just transport that kid back up to the ship? It's like, hey, he broke your law. We're going to take care of this. Well, the the weird thing is, is the Edo even sort of give them an out at one point where they say, look, if you just take him, we'll just call him a fugitive. And that'll yeah. be that. I mean, like th- th- that way, that way for us, the laws are still on the books. He's he's still he, he can't come back here. Because then he then he'll die. Yeah. But as far as we're concerned, like, you know, he's just an escaped convict, and and that's okay with. Like, they can they can justify that to themselves. They can say, mm-hmm. okay, like, you know. So so there's this weird sort of balance there, I think, between Picard and the Edo. And and that's the thing too is the weird thing is is they're not even saying you know the Federation is banned from here. They're saying specifically Wesley Crusher is banned. Yeah. So just take him. You know, I mean, this is kind of the way they, like, specifically, I mean, they say that. Yeah. And and they're like, no, 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 we're going to resolve this. You know, we'll resolve it. Yeah, no, no. That, I mean, that's, I think what that ends up being is it's the it's the way that they want to feel good about themselves at the end of the day. It It is, I mean, rough and dirty, that's what it is. Like, oh, we're going to feel good about ourselves and how we dealt with this group of people. Uh, So blah, blah, blah. Let's talk about it. Let's try to come to a peaceful resolution. But at the end of the day, Picard was always going to take Wesley. Um, And he even says as much before he goes down there. Right. You know, to Beverly. You know, he's like, yeah, look, come hell or high water, I'm not going to let anything happen to Wesley. But the thing is, is if he didn't want to break the prime directive further than they already had um yeah no you better let that kid die i'm sorry like that was well i no i mean i think that's absolutely ridiculous i know it is absolutely ridiculous but if but the prime directive is ridiculous in that sense like if you if you follow the letter of the law just in general that's what it is and picard makes this whole shebang about he makes this comment which is like laws shouldn't be absolute. And that's the deal is like the prime directive is absolute. It's a law. Like it's down in words. Like there's no the, – the prime directive isn't don't interfere with p- cultures and everything unless it's inconvenient for you or makes you feel bad. It's no, don't do it. And that's the same thing here. It's like, hey, don't break a law in a particular area at a particular time or you die. Like, that's so the law. Here's, so here's, okay, so here's, what, l- let's let's circle back and talk a little bit about the Edo. I want to get back to Picard and Crusher because, Beverly Crusher, because, but, yeah. but, but I, okay, but specifically let's talk a little bit about the Edo because their laws of death apply to children. Like, how young? Are we, like, toddlers? No, you're right. Because try telling a toddler now, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't, I cannot fathom a society that doesn't allow. Yeah. For some, I mean, and we're not talking about laws here. So, so to, to, so to be specific, because if, if it wasn't specific enough in the, in the um, synopsis, Wesley trips over a. He doesn't intentionally break a law. So like no. let's let's get it's that an straight. Accident. Let's get that straight right here and now. There is no intentionality here. There's not like mm-hmm. he saw that little it was it was a greenhouse. It was protecting young plants. He it's not like he saw it and took a baseball bat and and broke out a window. No, he trips and falls, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no intentionality whatsoever. He's a child, okay? Mm-hmm. Um and they're immediately going to condemn him to death. So my question, how does a society function at all in that, in that circumstance? No, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, you have to f- get everybody on the same page of saying it's okay to kill anybody who breaks a law, like anybody at any age or gender or who, regardless even of Even unintentionally. Yeah, I mean, imagine. Im- I mean, imagine if every time somebody tripped and fell, 
Yeah, they I mean, were I guess, at risk like, of death. Yeah. I mean, and not from tripping and falling. Like somebody would come along and kill you because you tripped and fell. I mean, this is yeah. the, this this is what. No, I so, agree. I agree. It is it is outlandish, um, and and for like in universe in the context of the story, that is outlandish, and you can't. I mean, it is difficult to defend, and I'm not going to even try. Well, and so then, so then the secondary part of this is that there's the, the secondary part of these laws is that there are these zones where the laws are enacted. Mm-hmm. So, and what happens in this, and this is where things get real hairy real fast as mm-hmm. far as like trying to understand exactly how this culture works at all. Um, Riker, Yar, and Worf all sort of come up on this scene where Crusher has, and he's sitting there like apologizing, like I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't mean to. It was an accident. Like it's, it's okay. I it didn't. It wasn't intentional. Mm-hmm. And obviously unaware that his actions will lead to his death, um, or that his confession rather will lead to his death. Anyway, so he. <laughs> So so then Riker comes up on the scene and he like I don't remember if he disarms or how it is but basically he argues with the police person mm-hmm. mediator is what they're called he argues with the mediator he pulls a gun on him right or whatever yeah Worf and Yar pull, pull yeah. phasers on him at which point so that I'm assuming is <laughs> more of a that was creepy um uh, <laughs> <laughs> Her door just slammed shut, but not in it was wind. Um, yeah, so uh, anyway, so so okay, so Worf and Yar pull a gun on on the mediators, which presumably is more law breaking than. Mm-hmm. And, well, they make a point on that one. It's like, hey, if this zone was still in effect, you'd all be put to death right but so the, the whole, what the whole the whole gist if you missed it at the beginning no i got it i just don't get it okay well the gist is is that all the this the law of death you know penalty of death is only infer, enforced in certain zones at certain times and the only people who know what those are are the mediators and so as a result nobody risks breaking a law in a particular time. However, that concept in general would be you would backfire. Just in, like if that were the law of the right. land, that would backfire backfire because you got to think there'd be ways to know. It's like, oh, where are the freaking mediators? Okay, I'm going to pop a cap in this guy over here. Right. And right. I and I will get to go away scot free. Well, and so then so then the second part of that is that like so Wesley broke the law by crossing the white fence. Is no, that, he broke the law by disturbing young plants. Like that was what it but says. But he, but he was in the zone where it was okay to break the law, right? No, he was in a zone where it was not okay to break the law. That's what caused this. That that zone was active at the time. Whenever he broke, literally, the plants. he just got. Literally, it was just like. But again, the whole thing to me like has to circle back around to intentionality. Like he didn't intend no, to you're trip right. and fall. No, he didn't. He didn't. But that's the point. The point is the law is that okay, the like there's the whole set of laws and those laws are enforced like the penalty for those laws is only enforced in a particular zone at a particular time. Wesley broke one of those laws in a particular zone at a particular time. Therefore, he is held accountable yeah, and is supposed re- to die. As I recall, Riven says something to the effect of, "Well, the you know the areas that you're not supposed to go to are clearly marked by a white fence, right?" Did, no, she didn't. Yeah, say that. she does. She does say that. Do you want to look it up? We can. No, look it I'm up. pretty sure she does it because it's like she says nobody knows what the zones are. Nobody only knows what the, the zones are, but there are parts of like there like there are things that you're not supposed to cross. White fences that you're not supposed yeah, to cross. Yeah, she never says that. Yes, she does. Do we want? We will stop we'll this have right to, now. Okay, we'll have to go and back and look, look at the look at the look at the episode. But she doesn't say that because they make an express. They they she says explicitly that nobody knows what the zones are or what times they're being enforced. Only the mediators know this stuff. Like that's it. That and that's why people don't risk breaking a law because you never know which zone is active. 
Right, but what Wesley did was was illegal regardless of when he did it. Yes, or because we, he disturbed the plants. He fell onto those plants. That was the law that was breaking, not crossing a white line. Right, but I'm but but my point is is that he, knowing that he wasn't supposed to go in there or knowing that he wasn't supposed to mess with those plants was markered by a Yeah, they were it was marked like the, it was marked by the white fence. The white fence and the greenhouses that covered those plants were incubating those plants. They were basically greenhouses for that those plants. Yes, that had that had nothing to do with the law. That was but just the fence itself was a marker to prevent people from going in there. I'm sure it was, but they never mentioned anything about a fence. She does. She does specifically. She mentions it. I, I don't believe so. I we're gonna pause this. Okay, we're back. And here it is. I was wrong. You were right. Oh, I know. I've got it on recording. Ryden says there's always a little white fence around the zone to warn people Bloody to keep out. Told so you. they do. Who wants to risk death? Yeah. See, that's what I was talking about is a little white fence that surrounds yeah. the thing. There's, and there is. There's a little sort of. There like, is a little okay. white fence around it. I it's, thought that was all part of the greenhouse right, thing. I know. It, but it, it, it's fine to me that you're confused by this, namely because the laws are really confusing. Yeah. No, it is but really what, confusing. What I was going to say, the point that I was going to make regarding the white fence was that that the kids that are with Wesley I'm guessing pretty clearly see that fence because he throws the ball. The kid throws the ball sort of over, like, towards the fence. And instead Mm -hmm. of somebody saying, oh, no, oh, my bleeping God, there's a fence there. We better run away because that's basically a shark that will eat you if you get too close to Mm -hmm. it. Nobody says a word. Nobody says, hey, Wesley, just so you know, we've got these white fences, and if you go into them, it's death zone. Like, literally, you'll die. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's like, it's they make it like a, they, they make this whole thing like, oh, it's common knowledge, just like, I don't know, anything. But, I mean, it's, it's like, but to it's, them it may be. But to, it's clearly not common knowledge to, I mean. Well, it, I don't know. Would you think to tell a foreign person who came to your house, the, wa- the roll of paper on the wall in the bathroom is to wipe your butt with. No, you would just assume that they know that because that's what toilet paper is for. N- you make that, but for the record, I would, and especially somebody who is like not familiar with Western custom at all. And the reason that I say that is that there are, I have heard numerous stories of, there are many cultures that don't use toilet paper for starters. Okay, I mean, just, you're, you're, you're being contrary here. But it's it's just the the deal is is like I'm using that as an as a for instance. I, I understand. Here. I understand. Like something ubiquitous to our culture, you wouldn't think to explain it to someone else. I and, would if it meant certain death. I mean, I would. I you know. I mean, I would. I would be okay. a little if if somebody if somebody. For Can I ask you this? You're in Texas. You live in Te- we live in Texas here. If say somebody from New York came to Texas, would you start off the conversation by saying, "Hey, just so you know, don't murder anyone while you're here because we have the death penalty." <laughs> no. The con- the concept is you know not to murder someone. Well, okay, okay. That's that's part of I, your I, culture. I I understand I understand what you're saying. I think to me it's more like more like playing in traffic. Or crossing okay. the freeway, right? So, like, let's say you has somebody, you know, fresh yeah. off of wherever, fresh. Yeah, don't off the ride boat. your bike on the freeway, right? Right. Yeah. Somebody, you know, somebody fresh from, you know, somewhere that doesn't have freeway systems, mm-hmm. um, or whatever, and and they think, oh, a roadway, I can ride my bike wherever a road is. Yeah, I would. I would make a point to say, look, <laughs> there are places where it's perfectly safe to ride your bike on the road. Here are some of the places that it's not perfectly safe to ride your bike. Yeah, I, I, I get what me, you're saying. I mean, that just to seems... me, the way I think is, I wouldn't think to tell them that. It's like, hey, cars on that road go 60 miles an hour minimum. Don't ride your bike there. Like, I don't think I would have to tell them that. Maybe later on they come back and tell me, hey, I got on that road marked, you know, 40E, and somebody. You know, just drove like a maniac going right by me as I was riding my bike. And I'm like, uh, then I would be like, yeah, man, that's a freeway. Don't ride your bike there. Well, but, but I wouldn't think to preempt them like, so, hey. You so, know. My, so my so my, 
reasoning for this, and I'll, 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 okay, what we're talking about here is not me preempting somebody. It's me, I mean, the way, the situation is that those kids are with Wesley. Mm -hmm. They see the white fence. Mm -hmm. Wesley says, hey, you know, I'm going to go long. You throw me the ball, right? And the Mm -hmm. kids, as he's running towards the fence, don't say, whoa, 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 hey, hey. Don't don't run into that white fence. Like it's really important that you don't because it's certain yeah. death. No, 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 I get right. What you're I saying. mean, so to me, it's the equivalent of me sort of, you know, let's say riding my bike down one of the streets here um, in our town. We come up to the freeway, and you know, our hypothetical foreign friend says, "Oh, I'm just gonna take a left here," and I say, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! You can't ride your bike on the freeway." You're absolutely right. Right. I mean, this is this is what I'm saying. Is specifically the problem is not that even if they didn't think, "Oh, well, we should probably tell them about the white fences because that's where all the sharks live." Like, <laughs> it's it's that it's that they didn't. Yeah. It's that they saw it coming. With they it, saw it and coming, they and they didn't go do anything. You're absolutely right. And that's it's I think it's one of those deals that is cultural in a sense and that they are children. I mean, you see it you see like I don't know, it's really difficult to defend that point. Just or yeah, to rebuke that point on, on this end, just because it is it's not like he's throwing a. It's not like he's throwing mm. a frisbee or something. It's a ball. I mean, it's not like something that like yeah. veered off course. Right? I thought it was. I thought that they were learning to play baseball, and he hit the ball with his no, stick. No, I. May, it? Well, yeah, you may be right. And so then Wesley may, went long for it. So it's kind of like that was course. the deal. I thought that was the deal for that. And at that point, like, here's the thing. And this is again, I'm breaking my New Year's resolution to be nicer to the crushers on this one. But I mean, Wesley did. Like an idiot, he had to have heard them. Like the people shouted at him like four or five times. I say four or five times. No, like, no, no. Like yeah. one really big one. Like, hey, Wesley, don't do that. And then like three seconds later, which is more than enough time to stop yourself, he jumps and falls into this greenhouse. You know. Like, the other thing is, for the record, if if he hadn't jumped and fallen into that greenhouse, the kid that hit the ball would be the dead one. Yeah. Well, I mean, the kid that hit the ball should be dead anyway um, but that's exactly well no, no no because the 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 law is don't disturb the law was not to disturb the plants wesley disturbed the plants by breaking the greenhouse but I'm saying that ball wouldn't have broken the greenhouse you don't think i think no, it would, i think it could no. have it could have and then and then how do you get the ball back out right well if i can leave it and run well but that but my point is is that had that my point is is it had potentially wait a second what time was that what i said the f word oh right so oh okay uh, we're at forty one fifty eight, so we'll have to do some edits all through here. Sorry, it's okay. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I mean, so so, I mean, Wesley saved that kid. No joke. I yeah, I, no, I, no. I, I think if he hadn't if he hadn't dove into the thing, I, there's a very good chance that the ball would have broken the window of the greenhouse, and the kid would yeah. be dead, and nobody would say anything. I mean, well, it, I mean, those those windows look more like screens. So I don't think they would have broken, but I don't know. Maybe, it's maybe. A bit, I thought it was glass, and I thought that I mean, if it was glass, Wesley would have been cut up, and he wasn't. Well, whatever it was, yeah. I think they could have potentially disturbed those little plants, and that kid could You're have potentially right. been dead. And the fact of the matter is that Wesley saved that kid's life because nobody would have cared on the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. Nobody would have done anything. I mean, no, it, yeah. th- th- it's nah. like, oh, Prime Directive, bye bye. You know. Oh no, you killed the kid. Oh, that uh, sucks uh, for you him. You guys are terrible. Okay, bye. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wash my hands of this one. Right. Deuces. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah, scarring poor little Wesley for life. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to circle around. We've sort of been dancing around it for a bit, but I wanted to talk about. Um, CMO Crusher, which is maybe my only pro for this entire episode. CMO Crusher. Yeah, they call her. They call her at one point CMO. She she refers to herself as CMO Crusher, which I thought was really cool. Um, Chief Medical Officer Crusher. Oh. Okay. It was great. I, I thought that was because a lot of times they call her Doctor Crusher or something like this, but I really yeah. like CMO Crusher. I that was cool. I'm kind of glad they dropped that because that's oh, a like little wor- that's a little mouthy, a little mouthful. Yeah, no, I mean, I thought I well, I, I liked it. I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was fun. Anyway, so okay, so now, let's talk about let's talk about the crushers. I will. This you are really testing me right now <laughs> because like the crushers are like oh, in this episode are particularly unbearable. Specifically, Beverly. Yes, but not specifically because, Beverly. Not for, okay, let, let okay, let's start with a couple. Let's start with 
Picard's treatment of Crusher. Let's irrespective of Gates McFadden's yeah. Let's say acting chops on this episode, yeah. which what My, was that? How, yes. And I'm I, look. I well, am. Just, I am. I am a defender look. of Crusher. I am a diehard defender. I will defend Sub Rosa one of these days. We're gonna get to it, and oh, I will defend God. it. Um, mm. Barely, but I will. Mm, uh, but no, but yeah, awkwardly, but I will. Uh, but 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 this one. I mean, it was like, can you muster one fake tear for me? Just one fake tear. She got, she got watery eyed. I think they dropped, put some drops in there for her. It was, it was so awkward. But that's not what bugged me about this episode. Yeah, it did bug me, but that's not what really bugged me. What really bugged me about this episode was the way Picard was dismissive of Beverly. Mm. Beverly runs up to him. After reading their report of the away team and finding out what's happening to her only son of her dead husband mm-hmm. and says, you know, I just read about Wesley. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. To which Re- Picard responds later. Can I ask you a question? Shoot. You are a National Guard member, right? Yes. Let's say you run up to your CO and just start demanding things from them. What is your expected response? Well, okay, I'm. I'm not. This is. Uh, th- this is a. This is a. It's a military vessel. Like it is a vessel that is. Well, yeah. That is structured militarily. There is a chain of command. You have like, if you go to your captain in his quarters or in his office, and talk to him in in that manner one on one. You're not going to be received very well, well but so, you're going to be received a heck of a lot better than running up to him in a corridor in front of his subordinates and talking to him that way. That shows disrespect. So, of course, he's going to dismiss her. But she's a mother who's worried about her son's life. Yeah, no, that's great and all, but he's a, he's a guy who is responsible for the lives of everyone on that ship. I understand. I understand. But he didn't have to be so dismissive of her. And he, it wasn't that he was dismissive of her the one time. He was repeatedly dismissive mm-hmm. of her. And instead of turning to her and saying, at the moment that she runs up to him and says, because it's not like she ran up to him and said, give me some crap. She says, I, I just read about what's going on with Wesley. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just read about what happened. What, what are we, what's happening? Yeah, you know? but you can't be blind but, to but the no, tone. No, 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 no. He didn't turn to her at that point and say, Beverly, we're going to do everything in our power to get him mm-hmm. back. But right now I have to deal with this other big godlike entity that's hanging off mm-hmm. our port bow. Like, you're right. Literally, literally that. that sentence would have been more than. He mm-hmm. waits hours, presumably, before he says to her, I'm not going to let anything happen to Wesley. I, I will tear the ship apart before I let something happen to Wesley. You're right. That's exactly what he does because he is the captain of the ship. It, it, this is my defense on this one, and it, take it, it's take a it or leave defense. it. No, 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 take it or leave it. We're still early on in his in his command of this ship. We're we're episode seven, which let's go ahead and and tr- and say that it truncates four months worth of time. Sure. So he's still putting up, like he's still trying to establish his authority on this ship or he's he's it's very well established at this point maybe but it's still tenuous at best so having even your chief medical officer who is your subordinate come up to you in the hallway and and not even like sir do you have a minute or sir i read the report can i ask you some questions no it's she comes up in the tone that she was speaking in to him, roughly just just flat out demanding information on her son. Yeah, as a mother would, as any mother in that circumstance would. You're absolutely right, but it's also very well established throughout this series that if you are bringing your child on a ship, on a starship, you are assuming the risk that that entails. So, okay, let, let's go back. Let's 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 back up a bit because this is exactly this is exactly the problem that I have with this episode. For the record, 
I don't remember if Beverly Crusher was on the bridge at the time that they decided to send Wesley along with an away team, right? In a presumably mm-hmm. non-dangerous mission, but really, they're going to send a child on an away team? Imagine yourself. This is the whole thing. Is like these these ships are supposed to sort of keep in mind the safety of every member aboard, but particularly the children on board the ship, mm-hmm. right? And while everybody assumes risk, it is, um, to quote Picard in, in a later episode, you know, calculated risk, right? Acceptable risks. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the flip side of that, the this sort of this sort of responsibility of the captain is to every member of his crew, but again, especially to the children who didn't mm-hmm. really have a choice uh, as to whether or not they were going to be on board these ships, right? right. And the, and imagine yourself for a moment as a as a member of the Enterprise crew, and you walk up on that conversation in the hallway, and what you hear, and you know that Wesley's on the planet, you know that his life is in jeopardy, and what you hear in, is instead of Picard being reassuring to a mother who was very, very worried about a son who was sent on an away mission that he should not have gone on, right? Instead Mm -hmm. of hearing that, you hear the captain being completely dismissive of her and her son's safety in that moment. Now tell me something. Would you or would you not immediately request a transfer off of that ship? Hmm. I feel like before I answer your question, you're missing some key factors here. One, at this point, Wesley is an acting ensign. Don't care. Don't uh, care. I'm sorry. Still a child. Hang on. Hang on. Wesley's been, Wesley uh, clearly had been gunning for that. If I'm walking up on that conversation and I know the fact that that young Mr. Crusher is an acting ensign uh, without going through the academy, without going through whatever basic training that uh, the enlisted personnel goes through, getting that rank, my thought is, Oh, he went down there and didn't obey the rules and got in, got himself in trouble. Yeah, no, screw these guys. You know, put like, yourself in Crusher's shoes. I'm but, telling you oh, right now. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now. Put yourself. Put yourself. No, you're right. You're absolutely put, right. Imagine if it were not. Imagine if it were not Wesley on that planet, no. but our son on that planet. You're absolutely. I mean, hey, look. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I would want answers, but here's the thing. I would also expect if I approached my commanding officer like that, I would get talked to that way. Like I would get put in my place. If I allowed my son to be on board this ship with me for one and then allowed my son to pull up the or or to request and accept the responsibilities that entail being an acting ensign, I would also would not, I, I would be angry about it. Uh, I would be angry of being talked to that way in that situation, but it wouldn't be outside of what I would expect. Well, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm absolutely, I, I have to completely disagree with you. Because, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly why. Because as, as much as the military is what it is, and and mm-hmm. you know, um, a, a big bad scary place for big big bad mm-hmm. scary people, they're also still human beings. Okay. And let me just tell you this much: if somebody's child in my unit was at risk in some capacity. And and nobody, not a single person in my unit would bat an eyelash if a, if if they were if they sort of responded in the way that Beverly Crusher, which by the way was not, I didn't think. Well, l- let's just say it wasn't dramatic enough for me mm. personally. I mean, I you know if I would be raising holy hell if it were something mm. if it were something like that for. For my kid or, you know, even for anybody in my, I mean, and this is, I think this is what was frustrating to me was just on a completely human level. This is not, this is completely ignoring the fact that, you know, Picard is practically Crusher's, you know, uh, uh, father figure. You know, I mean, they have a long relationship, a history Mm. that goes back decades like I, I'm, I'm completely ignoring yeah, but all I mean, that the, the relationship between Wesley and Picard at this point well but specifically Wesley and, and uh, I'm sorry uh, Picard and Beverly yeah like I I mean like this to me I, I, I'm, I'm like ignoring that fact I'm saying just specifically as a commanding officer to one of his subordinates who is in deep personal distress and anguish mm-hmm. like this is one of the things that they teach us even in even in the military is like when you know somebody a battle buddy or somebody under your command is 
is having trouble, you do not ignore them under any circumstances. That is recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. And so like this is one of those things where for me, it's like even if Picard just directed her to the right person, Beverly, we can't talk about it now, but you know, um, Ensign so-and-so over here, he knows everything about it and he can pull you up to speed and talk to you about our plans and we can, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. you see what I'm saying? Like, Well, here's the thing though. Um, Theoretically, those people exist on the ship. I mean, there's the there's but Counselor he's Troy her, that but knows. But he's her commanding officer. He's the person yeah, that she would go the, to in the those The director of personnel in this is act, the director of personnel on this that she should actually be going to is Riker, not Picard. Riker wasn't on board. Picard was on board. Hmm. So she goes to her own. This is her commanding officer. This okay. is this is her immediate superior. I mean, she's literally going up the chain of command. Now her chain of command happens to be the top dude, but she's going up the cha- yeah. chain of command no, in the perfect. Right. And instead of responding to her the way a person would, Picard acts like a complete tool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was so frustrated by that part. Yeah, no, you're right. But you have to think of like what immediately happens after that. It's that I know, yeah. it's that conversation she asks or that you know Riven asks. Which is which is really important. I'm pretty sure that he was wanting Beverly to hear it. Which was, if you have a ship like this, why why do you even care? Just take him. You know, she says that to him, or like, why not why not even take him? And he says to her, it's not as simple as that. And he wants Beverly to know that. Like, it's not that simple. Like, Wesley is okay. You've read the report. We know Wesley is okay in the report at this particular moment, but it's not that simple. We're still working on it. Like, that's that's where the report is. If she read the report, she knows everything that Picard knows. I, I can't, I, I'm sorry, but I can't, I just, I, I think that it was literally all he had to do was say to her, you know, mm-hmm. why don't you go speak with so so and so they know the circumstances they yeah. know what's going on they can give you an update you're right or whatever but he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't give her a mo- i mean again if i were a parent walking through that hallway listening to that conversation on the enterprise my first thought would be transfer me off of this ship because apparently the captain does not care about the children on this ship that would be my first thought and and the thing that frustrates yeah. me about that is like i don't think if picard is an inhumane person i think he's a very humane person yeah, no. and i think his inhumane treatment of beverly in those circumstances was well, I mean, and it's very, it's, it, there's, there's a lot of, they've make a lot of a uh, to do about the fact that Picard was not fond of the fact that he had a ship with families on it. No, uh, he yeah, doesn't I like know. that. I know. That's not something that he is interested in. It was not, I don't think that was his first choice. I don't think that the flagship of the enterprise or the flagship of the fleet, which was a family ship was something that he had anticipated right, ever right. having. Um, and I can appreciate that. Well, I, I, that's a difficult position to be in because you you have to take into account like you are on a vessel that is going into deep space and you will be light years away from the nearest ship that can help you out if you get into a jam. You have to make sure that all of your decisions not only are the best for your mission, but you also have to take into this added layer of like protecting not just people who have assumed the risk. But their families, who who theoretically haven't, like especially the children, they haven't they haven't agreed to that risk. They can't agree to that risk. I have to I have to presume that like one of the sort of things that happens when it comes to that sort of thing, you know, other than surprise, which of course you can't really. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing you really do about that. But but suppose you know if you're going into battle or if you're doing something along these lines, like presumably they evacuate. The families. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I have to, you know, and, and sort well, of. Well, they don't always do that because, I mean, that's. Yeah, right. I mean, they, they, they start that at the beginning of this series where, you know, they separate the saucer section and the uh, and they have the battle bridge and they always put the families on. They, they start off by putting all the fam- women and children or yeah, I say women and children, non-commissioned personnel on uh, on the on the saucer section and send them off while the other section well, but I'm, fights I'm kinda, the battle. I'm thinking like even like escape pods. I'm thinking they like they like launch escape pods or you know put them on shuttlecraft or whatever and just get. It. I mean I'm I'm not saying yeah. like they separate the saucers. I'm saying like if they know they're about to go into Romulan territory, they like drop the kids off at the nearest starbase. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe I'm, I think this falls into the storytelling category of if, if it's not expressly said, it doesn't happen. 
I well, my, my I guess my assumption is based on like if they know they have a particularly dangerous mission, right? Yeah. Because nine times out of ten, their mission is mapping the nearest star system. Yeah. But like if they know they have a particularly dangerous mission, then what they do is. Um, Drop the kids off at the nearest starbase and <laughs> like go have a good yeah, time. Yeah, but and come that back. has got to be that has got to be incredibly inefficient, though. Because well, right, you have to think like how I many mean, families and, are on. Well, I mean, I mean, be, I mean, and they have. Yeah, I know, players. but like, I think the the whole point of of a ship like that that is a family ship, so to speak, you know, the station wagon of the of the Federation, is that you know, they're not. Sending those ships into those situations, well, they or are, they though. shouldn't be, but they do. They do, which I find to be incredibly irresponsible in the Federation in general. However, that's that's getting yeah, well yeah, off topic yeah, totally, here. totally. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it, yeah. Anyway, I, I th- yeah. This episode left a lot to the imagination. Yeah, they tried to have a couple of interesting conversations about capital punishment, but I, I felt like those yeah. fell really flat compared to a yeah. lot of the other. Problems with this I, I definitely agree with you. The they, they really got off track, especially with the capital punishment topic. Oh, totally. Like it, it seemed kind of wedged in there. Absolutely, it was yeah. problematically wedged in there. Yeah, agreed. Well, we don't have a whole lot of recommendations today. Um, in fact, I don't have any recommendations you today. Know, um, I, I gave two last time, so I feel like I'm solid for a bit. Uh, yeah, I don't um, really have much either in the way of anything. But I mean, if we're gonna, we're going to start, let's go ahead and start with the Trek news. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, um, today and maybe maybe kind of appropriately considering the episode that we're talking about today, but uh, one of Star Trek's favorite sons um, uh, died on January first. Mm-hmm. So as of the recording of this episode about five days ago, um, uh, we knew him best as uh, Alexander Ale- Roshenko. Mm-hmm. Um, John Strayer, um, I think I'm pronouncing his last name right, um, yep. died at the age of 33. We don't know why or how. Uh, we wanted to express our deepest condolences for his family mm-hmm. and loved ones. Um, and I, you know, is it's one of those things where I, I always loved Alexander's character because it added a really interesting dimension to Worf. And, mm-hmm. and you know, as a child actor, he walked onto a set with some powerhouses, and I thought he pulled his own weight really, yeah. really well. Um, one of my favorite episodes to this day is the episode between him and Loxana Troy, and just his ability to sort of bring a smile to Loxana's face and to um, bring a smile to the audience's face, and uh, I, I think that he yeah. was a wonderful actor, um, and I, I'm really sorry um, that yeah. he's that he's no longer with us. Again, I really hope that he uh, um, his. I I hope I'm I'm hoping for peace and comfort for his his family and loved ones for sure. Exactly. No, I can't agree with you more. Uh, definitely my favorite Alexander Roshenko. Um, there was I believe three separate actors that played that character oh, right. at yeah, various sure. various yeah. ages, obviously, yeah. but. Um, definitely my favorite. I was, you know, to be honest, I don't, I don't want to be that guy who like, like who's never going, cause, cause as we go through TNG, I am going to take the point of, of not liking that character. Um, I, I was very, I was not very much a fan of it whenever, whenever his character came on, but he, that that has nothing to do with him as a person and him as an actor. I mean, he put forth. I love that character. You I know, you know, and and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one well, thing, just to disagree with you a little bit. The episode that I I, I brought up the episode with Alexander Troy, but another one, um, a fistful of data is, mm-hmm. and the re- interactions between him and Worf in that episode is the sweetest, cutest thing. I think. I don't yeah, know. I mean, it is very, it is very, it is a very real thing. But what I'm talking about is, is, is like. Yeah, I, like I've never been a big fan of of uh, the the children so much on you know outside of Wesley Crusher. Like whenever they started introducing more and more children, like even on even on Voyager with uh, Naomi Wildman, I was not a huge fan of that. Just because it wasn't the story that I that I really cared about. But all that aside. Um, 
the fact that this young man, and, and I will say young, I mean, he was only in his early 30s. Mm. I mean, the fact that he is no longer with us is just deeply, deeply heartbreaking because, I mean, he, you know, regardless of my feelings about his character or, you know, the the plots surrounding his character on this show, um, he did bring joy to a lot of people as a performer. And anytime an artist like that is, is you know, that light is shut out, it's it's a sad thing. Yeah, I agree. It, it is sad. Agreed. Like and, anytime and anyone passes, it's sad. Yeah, right. I, I'm, I'm fond of saying that there's never enough time with anybody that you care about. Um, mm-hmm. And I think... I think if, you know, if a person lives, um, you know, 30 years or 300 years, you'll still wish that they were um, around just one more day. And I and I and I'm I'm sorry that he's gone. And I'm I'm, I am sorry for, you know, anything um, that I say in the future negatively about Alexander (laughs) Roshenko. But 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 I I I agree with you. I mean, I I think it's yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where yeah you can't. I'm not going to look yeah I'm not going to look back at the at the character specifically with rose tinted glasses but I do think that I think that it's fun sometimes to sort of point out like man there were these episodes that he was involved in that really sort of gave Star Trek that little extra spark that little extra yeah. something and I and I, and he's a member of the Star Trek family and I feel like that that's important sure. you know I mean I feel like it's one of those things where it's a huge family. Millions of people, in fact, are, are in that family. And um, of all of all shapes, sizes, um, colors, creeds, religions, walks of life. And I and I feel like, you know, I feel like when you sort of lose a member of your family in that capacity, like I, I think I think it is it's difficult. And I and again, I just I I think, um, you know, uh, it's an unfortunate bit of Trek news. I, you know, I obviously hate to hate to pass on that kind of news, but, um, but it is, you know, yeah, it's it is what it is. And uh, anyway, so again, sad, sad day. Yeah, condolences to his family and and uh, mm-hmm. his friends. So, anyway, um, a, a a bit of a bittersweet Trek and A yeah. today, but Trek and A. Trek and A. So fine, he's happy all the time He walks the dog in the rain and the shine He doesn't complain and he doesn't want to die